0: back y'all this is our first mini nba episode nba mini-sode midweek mini-sode of nba of the 2018-2019 i have a special guest on today his name is blake murphy he's here to talk about toronto raptors and they're uh they're very very good start to the season uh some might say uh blake welcome to nba thanks for having me on man nice to talk to you again my pleasure you are one of the few return guests to nba so thank you for gracing us with your presence once again Mm -hmm. um so blake um, unfortunately the uh the Toronto raptors are no longer um undefeated uh They did lose uh last week to the bucks but um have definitely gotten off to a really great start this season and and I guess that's kind of where I want to start the conversation is. Um, obviously a lot of shakeups over the off season. You bring in Kawhi, you like, Odwayne Casey. Um, you bring in the pride of Northern Iowa, Nick Nurse. That's uh, my alma mater. So I have a, yeah. got a special place in my heart for Mr. Nurse. Um, and I think we actually talked about that in the off season about like, yeah, we did. Yeah. Higher. So, um, great to see that that came back around, but, um, would love to hear your thoughts on like what you think is, has been like the real surge for the Raptors hot start.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting because you, you don't necessarily think that a team like this, with working in a player like Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, and then also, you know, having lost to Marta Rosen, who was 30% of the offensive possessions with the new head coach, you don't think that they're going to hit the ground running necessarily. Um, I think, you know, maybe there was an underrated element of continuity with seven or eight or nine rotation players back and because Nick Nurse had been on the staff uh, the last five years. So so that's helped a little bit. Um, I also think that you know, to be completely fair, the early schedule has been pretty friendly. They've played, um, I think, six of eight at home. They've played the top three other teams in the Eastern Conference in right. Philly, Boston, and Milwaukee. But they've also played some pretty easy games. You know, Dallas visited w- with some injuries. Charlotte, uh, Charlotte was in Toronto. Um, you know, Minnesota was uh, there. They might be a bit of a mess right now, <laughs> people may realize. Yeah, that's, a, uh, so, that's an
0: understatement.
1: So – you know, the Raptors have had some things in their favor. And I think, you know, I think that's that's for the best for them. You you start out with a little easier schedule. You let yourself ramp up and kind of figure things out. There's still a lot to, to kind of figure out in terms of, okay, what's the right balance for Kawhi Leonard's usage? And how do you improve the defensive communication as the season goes along? Uh, because they can be really good, but it hasn't quite been there yet. So um, a lot of it's just, you know, an easy schedule, some continuity, guys like Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry starting the season out you know, looking like Kawhi Leonard and and Kyle Lowry as well.
0: Yeah. So let's dig into that a little bit. Cause I, I did want to talk like Kawhi was that he was a, a topic of conversation a lot in the off season for a variety of reasons, much to his own, uh, I guess, because of kind of the way he handled the situation in San Antonio before he uh, was ultimately traded. Um, but he's been very vocal, at least in the media about wanting to stay in Toronto, wanting to make it work. And, and to your point, like the question was, are we going to get the same Kawhi, that we are accustomed to, or is this injury more serious than we thought it was going to be? And thus far, it seems like the production um, has been there 100%. I mean, he's missed a couple games, but um, overall, I, I'd love to hear, like, how has Toronto adapted to having Kawhi? Like, have they gotten over losing DeMar DeRozan? And, and what's the overall kind of uh, census uh, across not only, like, the Raptors organization, but in the city of Toronto?
1: Yeah, so I kind of thought in the offseason, obviously the DeRozan trade was difficult for a lot of reasons. It's a tough basketball trade to trade an all-star for, you know, an MVP candidate coming off injury. And it's much tougher in non-basketball terms to trade kind of the face of the franchise, the guy who's been with you a long time, the guy who wanted to stay. Um, That was always going to take a little bit of time for some fans. Uh, You know, some fans were very eager to try something new. Some fans were very excited to get a player of Kawhi Leonard's caliber. Um, Some people had mixed feelings about it, though. And You know, with the amount of uncertainty that there was around Leonard, uh, it was kind of a, you know, an anxious offseason, even though it was a pretty exciting one. Uh, Out of the gate here, you know, I kind of said through all of that, that once Leonard got on the floor, I think people would just kind of, you know, figure it out from there and and sell themselves on it because everything is so obvious once Leonard's on the floor. And, you know, that was going to be the case whether Leonard was at 90% or eventually got back to 100% or was even better. Um, I don't know what percentage to put on it right now but he certainly looks better than the nine games he played last year. He's putting up 27 points a game. Um, You know, he's rebounding like a a power forward, if not a center. The playmaking maybe isn't all the way there um, just yet as he figures things out with teammates and maybe runs, you know, more isolation than he will later in the year. But you look at, from an efficiency perspective, you know, it's been there already. And it wasn't maybe there the first couple games, uh, but he's already up to a 61 true shooting percentage Uh, 27 PR if that's a stat that you like and then you know he's really helping out in a lot of ways in terms of the glass and on defense Um, so yeah I I can't speak for all fans but I think once he got on the court and people realize oh this is what Kawhi Leonard looks like uh, when he's when he's playing and he's relatively healthy even if there's some rust uh, you know I think that excitement has quickly picked up here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was one of those things where like the narrative was going to be okay. Cool, Kawhi could easily wrap up the MVP if he just comes back and does what he does and leads the Raptors to the number one seed. And let's say they win sixty games. Like, there's there's all these different opportunities for them um, if he plays the way that he's that we're accustomed to him playing. Uh, but then there was this kind of this dark story of like, oh, maybe he really is hurt, and maybe <laughs> maybe there's a deeper issue here with this injury. But um, the other thing that like they've done early on in the season, which uh, was a point of contention for a while, there was like, okay. What do we do with Jonas? Like, we, we kind of need him, but also he doesn't really fit in the modern NBA to some extent. Like, he's, he serves a purpose, but also we pretty much have to take him out of games in the fourth quarter. And opening the season, they've basically kind of had him coming off the bench and, and had Serge kind of uh, entering the lineup as the, the starting five. Um, what have you seen in terms of, like, his adjustment to, like, now his, his predominantly uh, bench, uh, coming off the bench role, kind of like a sixth, seventh man?
1: Yeah, it's been interesting. And I still think he's going to start sometimes. I think there are good matchups. You know, I've personally felt... Serge Ibaka has played awesome out of the gate. Um, You know, I haven't been in full agreement with what the Raptors deem as Ibaka games and what they deem as Valanchunas games, but that's kind of splitting hairs. I think the big thing for Valanchunas and and Tuesday against Philly was such a great example is if you're going to play him off the bench, uh, he has to be a focal point of the offense. And I don't mean dumping it into him and clearing out for you know, wrote post-ups that are, that are outdated. But I do mean, you know, if Fred Van Vliet or DeLon Wright, or or if it's a Kyle Lowry and bench unit, if those guys are out there with him, you know, make use of him, make use of the fact that he's an elite screen setter, make use of the fact that he's an elite offensive rebounder. Um, You know, there have been rougher nights where, you know, the the Raptors were down Van Vliet and Wright for a couple games there. And uh, the bench unit was like Lorenzo Brown, Norman Powell. And and those were the, those were the ball handlers with balance that doesn't look as good. You get right back, or, or Lowry's playing some of those minutes, or when Van Bleet returns, and suddenly you can use Valanciunas a little more dynamically, both for himself and to get others uh, space. You know, it looks like a pretty good fit, and, and you see the numbers, and they're they're eye popping. He's averaging right now what would be a career high in points, and he's doing it in a career low of minutes um, by like a fairly significant margin on the minute side. So. He's been, uh, you know, his touches are up even though his minutes are down. And I think that's, you know, not only does that make sense when he's with the bench unit, but I think that's a great way for Nick Nurse to keep that buy-in up if Valanciunas is going to play 50, 60 games off the bench, is to be able to show him, hey, look, you know, your minutes are a little lower and no, you're not starting, but look at the usage you get to have in these second units where you're not the fourth option or or the third option or or sometimes even the fifth option. You're the guy and everything's going to kind of run through you.
0: Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Like that was the one thing which was like even in the playoffs they're like okay, cool, we can feed him and, 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 and like there were matchups during the playoffs where he was he was outscoring his opponent and also just like really dominating on the offensive board. To your point, um, but it's it's been interesting to see like to your point leveraging him in the way that he's like best suited to be leveraged, but then still kind of pulling back the reins a little bit so that they can still optimize like the def- for defensive reasons. Um, now one of the things that makes you guys stand out in, t- in terms of like the upper echelon teams, um, in the Eastern Conference is. The Toronto bench mob, uh, for, for lack of a better term, uh, I think we might have started that here in Chicago, but nonetheless. Uh, <laughs> but like the bench mob that you guys have is is incredibly deep, even after using losing Jakobertel. Um, you know, gaining Danny Green in that trade, having OG, uh, you know, come back for his second season. You know, locking up Fred Van Fleet, who's my boy. He's from Rockford, Illinois, so like I ride for that dude forever. But um, what do you see as like? the ceiling for this team based on like the way that they've been constructed early and granted it's early on. So like, we're making bold predictions. That was, that's what we do. But um, where do you see this team finishing at the end of the season? Like what's, what's their ceiling?
1: Yeah. I, before the season, I picked them to finish second to the Celtics in the Eastern conference standings and to make the, but to make the finals, oh. um, you know, the, the early start, the seven and one start here. And with Boston struggling out of the gate, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the Eastern conference standing part of that, looks a little different. I think Milwaukee's going to maybe have something to say about that now too. Uh, And that, and that top four, you know, if if you assume that, that in some fashion, the second round of the East is going to be Toronto, Boston, Philly, and Milwaukee. um, No disrespect intended to Indiana. um, That's, you know, that's going to be tough and that's going to come down to who's healthy and who's clicking in the playoffs. But I think this team's upside is a team that can go to the NBA finals. They have a bona fide superstar. Now Kyle Lowry, is among the best number twos in all of basketball. He's playing like a number one right now. He would be, you know, an early season MVP candidate if, you, if you'd if like to look at those kind of things this early, averaging, I think, 19 points, 11 assists or something like that and just yeah. bombing threes. Um, and then you look, you mentioned the depth, you know, Danny Green's there. Um, they have played, even so far, um, OG and OB's missed three games. Fred Van Bleet's missed four games. The lawn Wright's missed five games and looked unhealthy in another. So um, they've gotten by in a 7-1 start trying out new lineups and dealing with guys being injured and giving big minutes to, you know, Lorenzo Brown or Malachi Richardson, guys who don't figure into the rotation. Now, it's not fair to assume that, you know, oh, well, what do the Raptors look like when everyone's healthy because most teams don't get to the playoffs healthy. Uh, but I think it does, you know, it does speak to the depth that's there that they, they've they managed to lose only one game um, while dealing with these injuries and juggling the starting lineups and stuff. And I think, you know, it, it's the East is going to be tight enough that, nothing's going to be certain for this team. No, You know, they, whether they win 55 or 60 or 65, it's still going to come down to how they match up with, with Philly and Milwaukee and Boston, how they play in those series. But uh, I don't think, you know, I thought entering the season, they had a, a fairly decent shot to make a, a run to the finals. And I don't think there's, you know, with Kawhi being maybe a little ahead of schedule and Danny Green looking like he's fully back after that torn groin last year, um, you know, I don't really see any reason why they can't still, that still isn't a possibility for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I've been I've been contemplating myself is is the transition from Dwayne Casey to Nick Nurse is an odd one, right? Like it doesn't. This is what the second time ever in in the history of the NBA where the previous season's NBA Coach of the Year is, is fired and, and replaced. You know, you got like a, a sixty win team last year, uh, who, who who dominates on all fronts basically uh, throughout the entirety of the season. Um, Nick Nurse can now comes in and 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 has this team that was you know one of the top three top two teams uh, in the Eastern conference last year. Um, I guess to what extent, what would Nick nurse need to do to like really etch himself in as like a real impact and a plus for this team, this season? Like, is it a finals appearance? Like has he come in and done something different on the offensive end that has like gotten you guys off to a uh, top start? Like I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know like how he can be a positive impact um, because the, the situation is so weird.
1: Yeah, so I don't, I don't think Nurse can really be evalu- evaluated by the regular season. I mean, he can be, but in terms of contrasting him to Dwayne Casey, I'm not sure that that's there. Like we've already seen him throw some new offensive wrinkles in, but that's that happened over time with Casey as well. And a lot of the playbook was always Nick Nurse anyway. Um, you know, defensively they're ratcheting up the aggression because of the personnel that they have. Um, that's still a work in progress. But the the real thing is the the thing that the Raptors have run into in the playoffs every year is that the way that they've won regular season games isn't as sustainable in the playoffs. And it's not necessarily that depth isn't quite as important, although that's been a factor. Um, it's been in part because one of their star players is a little easy, not easy to stop, but easy to game plan around in terms of not defending DeMar DeRozan when he doesn't have the ball or attacking him on defense. Uh, and the Raptors had been so rigid in you know, what their rotations were and who played with who that when it was time to, when a change was required, um, everyone's kind of out of sorts a little bit now. So, so what nurses is, you know, the approach here is to try a bunch of different starting lineups and give guys extra rope in different roles and get everyone comfortable playing different ways. And there are going to be some bumps in that process. You know, Lorenzo Brown and Malachi Richardson playing big minutes and playing big minutes together with Norman Powell as a unit. That's, that's not something that if they were trying to maximize every minute right now, they would be doing, Uh, But everything's kind of aimed toward April. So the way that Nurse can kind of differentiate himself is, one, how he has this team prepared for the playoffs to play different ways, both stylistically and lineup-wise. And then, two, um, the kind of adjustments he makes once they get to the playoffs. The Raptors haven't played enough close games yet to really have an idea of what, you know, Nick Nurse's crunch time decisions will look like in terms of lineups or play calls or anything like that. Um, So we need a larger sample for that. But that's kind of the area where, at least in the playoffs – you know, rotations and, and sometimes lineups and some of the late game decision making was an area where Dwayne Casey, you know, it was one, it was pretty much the lone area left that I, I found to criticize Casey about. Um, so that's the biggest area where Nurse could differentiate himself. Uh, it does make it a little awkward between now and April trying to evaluate just, just what a difference it's made.
0: Right. Yeah. Cause like it's, 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 arguably going to be marginal and if they win less games then it's like more notable so it, yeah it's just a really i don't envy the man <laughs> to say the least um no i i absolutely love the toronto raptors team and like I think I can speak for everyone. And I say we need Drake in the finals. So uh, whatever we can do to get you guys there. A, who's
1: Drake going to cheer for, though?
0: That's a great he's question. And that's the, thing. the real. This is the real conundrum. Like, you know, if Draymond and Steph are hanging out in his house in Calabasas, but he's got his place in Toronto and he's on the sidelines. It's like, I don't does know. Does he
1: just cheer for the home team
0: all, that's, every game? That's what I'm wondering. He's pretty good at that. He does like to jump on bandwagons and, and root for everybody. So um, maybe he's just the most supportive person in the world. Maybe that's what it is. And it's just like he just has no allegiances. He just loves everybody. Uh that's what I, that's what I think we yeah, all exactly. we can all learn a thing or two from Drake. Um last question, like um, and this is a, a not Raptors question, but let's call it Raptors adjacent. Sure. Um the scoring output this season is uh pardon my French, but it's fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh the the Bulls game the other night against the Golden State Warriors when Clay went off for 14 threes, the final score was 149 to 124. And I think the last time I checked this, and it's probably gone up because of that game, uh I think the average points per game in the NBA right now is like 120 points per game. So the question I have for you is, is this good for basketball?
1: Yeah. So first of all, we call that Clay Thompson game in Toronto. We're calling that the Alfonso McKinney game. (laughs) Uh, You know, you got to track those X Raptors. Uh, I have it in front of me. It's 112.2 points per game right now is the average team. Every team in the league is averaging at least 103.7 points per game. So like, the first part of that is, like, last night the Raptors score over 100 points through three quarters against the Sixers, and the Sixers are into 100, you know, with six minutes to go in the fourth, and I see people, like, freaking out. The Raptors' defense is so bad, um, they've given up 100 points. Well, first of all, as, as a, like, NBA community, we got to move that bar. I don't know right. if that bar needs to go to 110, which is what the median team is averaging right now, which is crazy. Um, that's – okay, the median team is actually averaging 112. Jeez. <laughs> geez um <laughs>
0: it's so crazy it's so
1: yeah. crazy so i so we i don't know if we need to move that to 110 I, ideally obviously everyone uh everyone moves over to points per 100 possessions but even then like scoring's way up so um i don't think i don't think it's necessarily good or bad for basketball i think the league has some incentive to try to ratchet it downward um a little bit just because you know right now it, it's it's exciting on one hand because you get things like the specter that any no game is out of reach and everyone could come back by bombing threes to get back into it. And like the Raptors have a 17 point lead down to one against Dallas in a snap because (laughs) Dallas's role players just start hitting threes. Um, You know, that excitement factor is good, but I think, you know, I think there's a balance between what things look like right now and what the NBA is intending to do with some of the, you know, clutching and grabbing rules and the spike in free throw rate. Like teams are averaging almost 25 free throw attempts per game, which kind of runs counter to the league's desire to um, speed up the pace of play. Uh, So, you know, I think there's a balance between where they've been and where they are now. And some of that'll be the officials um, kind of ratcheting back on those points of emphasis, I think. And and some of it'll be, you know, in theory coaches figuring out ways to, to slow this offensive burst down. I don't know what the answer is uh, to that when guys are, you know, when the floor is extending vertically because of guys like Steph Curry and Kyle Lowry and, you know, every, most bigs in rotations can do a little playmaking now. It's a, uh, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing because it, it highlights all the talent that there is, but I think there's a, a happy medium somewhere in between
0: yeah no I completely agree yeah it's just it's one of these things where it's just like it, it kind of reminds me of the early 2000s where it was just like scoring was was not nearly as high I mean the, the, we talked about this last week on the podcast where it's just like any mathematician would tell you that as the three point percentages and shots went up per player per team et cetera et cetera it was inevitable that the scoring was going to go up and like now it's just I don't know we're gonna see a two hundred point game this year and I can't wait yeah <laughs> like somebody, somebody's gonna hit twenty twenty three pointers in a game
1: What's really interesting to me is that like, there's still, this is all about like volume of three and where shots are being taken on the floor. Like the league wide three point percentage hasn't taken like a massive spike. It's not like guys are getting necessarily better at hitting the threes. They do take it's that they're just taking, they're finding ways to take more. Like the league three point percentage right now is 35.6, which is I think almost the exact same as last year. Um, So it's interesting to me that it's all about like design and getting more threes off. And it's not like, you know Steph Curry being the exception. It's not like guys have just suddenly um, bit, gotten much much better at shooting the at making the ones that they do take. Which I think is interesting because you hear all around the league about guys. You know everyone's adding a three point shot or trying to, but statistically the the league three point percentage hasn't spiked much.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's, uh, it's a phenomenon. And I'm still not sure how to feel about it. It's, yeah. And as a Bulls fan, like we're basically a saloon door for, <laughs> for anybody who wants to enter. So uh, kudos to, to Clay for, you know, striking when the iron's hot. Um, Blake, thank you so much for coming on today to talk about the Raptors. Uh, where can people find you? Where can people find your content? Um, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, they can find me on Twitter at Blake Murphy, ODC. Um, I usually respond to people on there if they, for whatever reason they want to talk to me. Um, And then all my content this year is at The Athletic. Um, So you go to The Athletic or The Athletic Toronto or The Athletic NBA, I'm part of that deep stable uh, of writers there.
0: Dope. Love The Athletic. Started here in Chicago, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan and, uh, and subscriber. And, uh, yeah, if you guys haven't checked out The Athletic, highly, highly recommend. Really, really good content by a lot of really good writers, including Blake Murphy. Um, All right. Well, for Blake, for Jay, this has been NBA. We're out.